0: and we are underway
2: welcome to the action network podcast i'm brandon anderson here as always with raheem palmer to wrap up a mostly mundane week six the favorites bounced back as nearly every big public favorite won on sunday most of them big all seven favorites won and covered in the early afternoon slate it's kind of a slog day of football. You uh, even got a quiet witching hour on NFL Red Zone today. That we did get three overtime finishes, which we will talk
1: about soon. Raheem, how was your week, Sex? I mean, it was it was solid. It was interesting because the public absolutely dominated every single like public team. Pretty much came through, and it, it had to be a good day for the public. I think when you're, I, I'm going to consider myself one of a, a sharper player, and I'm I'm I can be contrarian at times. So like. Days like this aren't the best days. I'm yeah,
2: constantly- this, this felt like a day that the books got hit pretty hard. And I think a day that uh, sharps got hit pretty hard too. a lot of those underdog and taking the points angles where the points seemed too much. The favorites overcame today and ended up covering even some of these kind of backdoor late covers uh, sort of thing. So uh, yeah, we'll get to all those as usual. We'll run through the Sunday slate with betting takeaways for every game. We'll preview Monday night football and do our week seven hot read as always, odds today are from BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. All right, let's talk about those three overtime games today. And we'll start with the one that just finished in Pittsburgh Sunday night. So, it was not the Sunday night game that we were hoping for. Nothing like the marquee games we've had in recent weeks, but we got a good one. First half started out ugly, didn't even look super watchable. Seattle got the ball moving the second half. Alex Collins running the ball, open up the play action. Seahawks come all the way back. We send it to overtime and then TJ Watt takes over from there. Steelers kick the field goal for the win. Seattle ends up covering the five, but they pushed on the total. Talk to me about TJ
1: Watt. What a game for that dude. Absolutely dominant. I mean, he pretty much won the game. He had the sack that that pretty much put them out of field goal range when Seahawks were driving to start overtime. And then he had the game-winning sack to pretty much force the fumble. It's just... You, you need that, those type of dominant performances, especially when you don't have a great offense and, you know, kudos to him. Yeah. He had a 40%
2: pass rush win rate, which is, yeah, that's a lot on that strip sack for just a split second. Devin Bush picked that up and started running the wrong way. I thought we might get Jim Marshall, like only a Seahawks game could end in overtime with the winning safety returned 75 yards the wrong way. We had a chance. We had a chance there, but you know, cue up the Kevin Clark that there's never been a normal Seahawks game tweet that always comes out on every single Seahawks game. Weird game. Uh, there was the weird replay right before the end of regulation. DK Metcalf had a catch near the sideline, decided apparently he's going to try to win it on his own, and then a great punch out. We got a lot of players stealing that peanut Tillman punch these days, and they recover the ball, run it to the line, get the spike. We re- review it. We get another spike, make the field goal. This was kind of an old school game overall. It felt like, especially in the second half, it felt like Pete Carroll and Mike Tomlin were just like, all right, who's tougher? I'll punch you. You punch me. Let's see who flinches first. And uh, I don't know. I guess TJ Watt won the fight.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt.
2: <laughs> so, Steelers go to three and three. Feels like they sort of saved their season. They're heading into the bye week. They get a chance to kind of reset, get right a little bit. Seattle two and four, and uh, Geno Smith. Not looking great. He definitely had the big fumble there at the end. But earlier before that one, the Cowboys and the Patriots also went to overtime. CeeDee Lamb had the big long walk-off touchdown. Your guys got another win. Dallas moves to 5-1 and one on the year, 6-0 and oh against the spread. They're unstoppable. Cowboys win 35-29 in overtime.
1: That was a frustrating game for me because I actually had the Patriots and There were like there were so many things that had to go wrong for the Cowboys to cover that game. And I told somebody today, Trayvon Diggs is not going to have an interception in every single game. They (laughs) have 17 interceptions this year. And he goes out there and gets a pick six. And it was just so frustrating because it looked like the worst case scenario is the, the Patriots go three and out. They punt the ball back to the Cowboys. the Cowboys come down and kick a field goal. He throws a pick six. The following play, they target Trayvon Diggs, they score a touchdown. You're thinking, okay, they missed the two-point conversion, maybe the Cowboys come down kick a field goal. Great. Of course, they they get the two-point conversion. Cowboys come down, they tie it up. It's overtime, the Patriots get the ball first. The, the best thing that you want if you have, you're a Patriots back, you got them three and a half, four and a half, that's all you want. You want them to get the ball first. They end up, and they either score and and they cover and win the game, or they punt it, and then the Cowboys all they got to do is kick a field goal. Of course, they punt it. The Cowboys broken play gets gets a touchdown. Literally one of the most frustrating covers of the week. But when you look at this Cowboys team, they won in yards five hundred sixty seven and three hundred thirty five had had the play advantage yards per play six point nine to six point seven rushing advantage. Patriots went on third downs. Rezon TD percentage was, was tied, but the Cowboys really beat themselves with penalties. And I think that's really what it comes down to with this Cowboys team is that they're a super bowl caliber team, but can you trust Mike McCarthy when it matters? And I'm not sure you can.
2: Yeah. The Cowboys really should have dominated this game. Like you said, 567 yards. That is a huge number. That was uh, 234 yards more than new England they almost doubled their first downs, 32 to 17, 39 minutes time of possession. But then Dallas undid so much of that. 12 penalties, 115 yards. They had two turnovers in the red zone. They went 2 of 5 in the red zone, 3 of 13 on third down, 2 of 4 on fourth down. They they missed that field goal near the end of the game. And you mentioned McCarthy, too. You know, the, no one is really questioned because the Cowboys are winning. But they had that fourth and one, you know, where they just before halftime, and I think that was the right call. You go for it. You try to punch the ball in. They got stuffed and they scared them off because now you get down late in the game, fourth and one or fourth and short again, you're down a point and you, you got to get the first down there. You got to keep moving, run the clock a little more, get into better field goal range, maybe score a touchdown instead settle for the long field goal, miss the long field goal, probably should have cost them the game, but then Trayvon digs, bails them out, gets the pick six. I saw Diggs, seven interceptions, is already, in week six, already the most by any Dallas Cowboys since 1985 for an entire season. Shouts to Everson Walls with nine and 85. So, Cowboys get another chance later, another fourth and one, and then, of course, they call a timeout, try to settle things down, and then, instead of going for it, kick another field goal, but they made the long one, send it to overtime, And, you know, McCarthy, the whole thing was he he took all the He took his sabbatical. He took his time off. He's supposed to learn the ways of the modern game and learn all the analytics. It clearly did not happen. So definitely, definitely a problem. Let's cue up the stink of the week.
0: Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, Plug your nose.
2: It stinks. This is your stink of the week. You talked about. You know, the I was on pats as well. So plus three and a half, plus four. That was a tough one. If you got that one that late in the game, you definitely expect to get the cover. But another another stink of the week in the first half, I happen to notice because I wrote the preview on this one, and my pick was the first half under at 24. And boy did that look terrible. Because Cowboys come out, get stopped on fourth down. Next three drives, boom, 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 three touchdowns. It's, it's 14 to seven. And again, I'm on 24. There's a few 25 or 26 out there. We're roasted at this point. We got a whole second quarter still. There's already 21 up. The defenses haven't showed up. So I already get up on it. Patriots are driving. They get around the 35. They score a touchdown. So we're already at, we're over. I lost the under, but touchdown comes off the board. And then the Patriots fumble. No points on the possession. Cowboys get the ball. They drive down, they get into the red zone. We're in trouble again. Cowboys settle for a field goal. So we're at 24. I'm on a push on mine. Some of the people out there are still on their under. So New England gets the ball back. They get the punt blocked. Cowboys recover at the 17. And still, if you're on the over here, you're feeling great at this point. Like a field goal does a trick. A touchdown does a trick. You just, just need points. Just get any points here. We're already there. And that's where they get down to the one on Cedric Wilson. First and goal in the one with Dallas, you have like the two most efficient running backs in the league, and they three times get stuffed. Fourth time, Dak stretches out. They call the touchdown. They review it. They overturn the fumble. We end at 24. Greatest first half under push of my life. Uh, big play by Jawan Bentley uh, getting the fumble there. But if you had the over in the first half, Boy, that is a stink of the week because we hit the over like five times there and should have hit it a few more times. And you you came out. You didn't even
1: you didn't even name the best stink of the week. Week. You know what? You know what the best stink of the week was? What's that? Did you see the Cleveland Browns Arizona Cardinals game? Like the first half over was literally twenty four, and it took a hail mary to beat it. I didn't even notice that one. We'll 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 talk about that one again when we get
2: to the Browns game in a second here. But yeah, City Lamb had the big long walk-off touchdown, two TDs, 149 yards for him. Dak had another big game, 445 yards and three touchdowns. I saw this is the most passing yards Bill Belichick team has ever allowed in a loss. So, you know, all of our Bill Belichick underdog and Belichick versus NFC stats. Starting to go a little bit by the wayside. It turns out having that old Tom dude at quarterback probably played a part in some of those. So, Dallas looking good. Uh, they did show Dak Prescott had a calf strain and left the game in a walking boot. That was on the last play of the game. Uh, but Dallas has a bye week next week. It doesn't look too serious, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, you got anything else on your guys, or should we move to my team, the Minnesota Vikings? <sighs>
1: There's so much frustrating about that game, <laughs> like, even even before the black punt. Like, I have to address this because it was just it was just like in some ways it feels like Belichick. He's kind of losing his fastball, and you saw like on the play before the punt, they actually threw it to the receiver, and it was fourth and one, but they didn't give this guy like forward, forward progress. So, like instead of challenging it, or instead of actually as asking for a measurement, they actually rushed the punt team out there. And that's what caused the black punt. And I think, you know, it's just when you have plays like that, it impacts the impacts the game. And then also I think Belichick wasn't willing to be aggressive in this game. You, you see a lot of coaches going for it on fourth and one. You see a lot of a lot of coaches throwing a little bit more. I, I felt like they he just wasn't very aggressive. So it was kind of frustrating for me because I felt like there was a really winnable game for the Patriots.
2: Yeah. You know, you can tell by the way that you're professional better when you're feeling so bummed out about your own team winning the game because the the team that you bet on against them didn't come through. But you're right. You know, normally we're used to seeing sharp coaches when your team is the underdog, you play with extra aggression and it feels like Belichick has kind of done the other thing. Like he knows that his team is not the better team in these spots. And so he's he's playing the underdog role, but he's not playing it the way that you know, a Brandon Staley or or Stefanski, some of these other younger coaches who are being really aggressive and going for it a lot. He's just trying to do all he can to not lose and and keep things close. And I think maybe hope the other team loses. And, and Dallas tried. They tried a whole lot of ways, but found a way to actually win in the end. So that is a pretty good segue into the Vikings game, which was pretty similar. Now that I think about it, as we're talking about these. So the Vikings also won in overtime, also on a walk-off touchdown that went to K.J. Osborne. Another big game for their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, 373 yards and three touchdowns. And just like in the Dallas game, Minnesota should have won. They should have dominated and put this game away. Vikings had 571 yards, similar to Dallas. That's the third most yards in Vikings franchise history. And the Panthers never should have been in this. But it's the Vikings. So, you know, they let them hang around. They play with their food. Panthers took it to overtime, but the Vikings took care of business. So, I don't know. Are the Vikings going to do this every week to me? This was
1: the second most frustrating game of the day for me. I actually took the Vikings, and there were a lot of sharp money on the the Vikings pushing this line from minus – actually from plus one to to minus two and a half. Christian McCaffrey didn't play in – today's matchup and he's going to be on IR. But this Panthers offense is a complete mess. The offensive line can't protect, protect Darnold. Like I tweeted at some point during the third quarter that the Panthers are literally, they were literally averaging three yards per play and had 116 total yards. They were two for eight on third down and had the lead in the game because the Vikings actually had a fumble and then they had a block punt. Like, it, it just was one of the most frustrating games in, in, I've ever seen because when you look at the box score, it's clear that the Vikings should have won this game by three touchdowns. It, oh. it just – they absolutely dominated. in mean, every facet of the game, early passing, like, success rate of 56%. Like, when you look at the, the Carolina Panthers' success rate, they had a, a 41% success rate all day, it, and, and, and somehow they're backed up in their own, pretty much their own end zone and drive down the field after not being able to do anything and ties the game with the touchdown two-point conversion. This Vikings team is just second week in a row. It, it just it just feels like they have, a, they have a solid offense, but they just can't put it all together. So this, this is going to be a team that's going to challenge for a wild card spot, but I don't see this team making any noise.
2: Yeah, the Vikings were up 11 with five minutes left and had to go to overtime to get the job done. Last week against the Lions, Vikings are up 10 with three minutes left and almost lost in regulation. Against Arizona about a month ago, the Vikings allowed a late field goal and then missed the winning field goal at the last play. So they could have had that one and blew it. In the opener against the Bengals, Minnesota drove in overtime into field goal range, but then Cook fumbled and the Vikings lost on a last second field goal in that game. Minnesota could be 5-1 and one right now. Minnesota could be 1-5 and five right now. Like, how do you bet on that when it's so unpredictable at the end every time? It does feel like this defense is getting in order a little bit. Sam Darnold was horrendous in this game. Sam Darnold was so bad. He finished 17-41 of 41 for 207 yards, but that really obscures how bad he was because he had that late drive to stack up a lot of yards on that. He had two turnovers. He was sacked four times. He was terrible. Like he was Sam Darnold. We, we knew this is what Sam Darnold was. We had fun for three weeks. Otherwise Carolina started three and zero, and now just three and three, obviously it sucks not having McCaffrey out there. That's a big part of the offense, but you still got to play quarterback. And I don't know that did I, would you, would you say Carolina or Minnesota is the better chance to make the playoffs at this point? Is it Oh, without Minnesota? a doubt,
1: Minnesota, when, when you look at I mean like, Carolina, I mean, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair to Sam Durham. He's He's been terrible. And, you know, I wrote in my article when breaking down the Vikings that, you know, great, Jay-Z had a, a great line. He said, it's only so long fake does can pretend. And we saw that with Sam Darn. In the first three weeks of the season, they played the Jets, the Texans, and then they played a Saints team, which had a COVID outbreak. And pretty much every team that's had a COVID outbreak that's lost their coaches and lost teams. They lost this year. I mean, there was a, an exception today, unfortunately, but so he's, he's caught all the breaks and that's how they started off like three and Oh, but I gotta be fair. The protection has really been bad. He got sacked 12 times during this three game losing streak. And obviously if you don't have your security break blanket and Christian McCaffrey and the offensive line is in there, there's only so much you can do. And he did make the, he he did make some plays down the stretch when it counted to actually get the game in overtime. So, while he's been bad, I'm just not sure the team around him has has done enough for him. So,
2: yeah, I think that I might just be fading both of these teams. Definitely fading the Panthers more, but the Vikings are still in rough shape. Their their next four games are against Dallas, Baltimore, the Chargers and the Packers. This is a rough stretch. This was the easy part of the schedule for Minnesota. This is the part that they were supposed to start out five and one, you know, they should have hit those kicks and been five and one. So I think these early losses will be very damaging because it means that you're going to have to win a game now that you shouldn't have won. They're going to have to beat the Packers a time or two. They're going to have to win against the Rams late in the year or some of these upcoming games. And it's just, it's, it, it's such a big hole that they dug for themselves that they're going to be fighting uphill all season. So let's talk about, you mentioned the COVID team that didn't win today. Both of us, along with just about everyone at our site, was on the other side of that one. So the Cardinals and Browns, that was supposed to be our big game of the day that should have led our conversation. It didn't because the Cardinals took the Browns behind the woodshed and just destroyed them, 37-14. You mentioned COVID. We know that they're missing a whole bunch of their coaches, including Cliff Kingsbury and a bunch of the assistants. Apparently it didn't matter because the Cardinals came out. It was 20 nothing, 20 minutes into the game. It's basically over. It should have been worse by then, to be
1: honest. This was a beatdown. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And it started from pretty much the opening drive. Cleveland went three and out. They punt the ball to Arizona. And it was just, it was so crazy because Arizona, they were actually slowing down Arizona in the passing game on the opening drive. But on third down, Arizona just kept converting third downs, or they would get a penalty. It's just, they absolutely dominated this game. They won in yard is th- 352 to 290 third down conversions. They they dominated in that area. Rushing yards 144 to 73. Red zone TD percentage, four, four out of seven to one out of three. Turnovers, it's it's just this Cleveland team is just it's pretty clear that they're struggling to stop teams through the air. And I think that's a big problem. And now they're banged up. You got Kareem Hunt out. You got both of your starting tackles out. Nick Chubbs is still banged up. Baker Mayfield is out. It's just, this is, it's, it's almost tragic because this is the best Browns team that we've probably seen since 1994 on paper. And, you know, they dominate these games against the Chiefs and they dominate these games against the Chargers. And they don't pull them out, and then you you lay an egg like this, and now you're banged up, and you're headed into a short week. So this this is a, this is a really troubling spot for this team.
2: Yeah, the Browns 37-14, It honestly was not that close. This should have been much worse than it was. You know, I said it was twenty and nothing early. And then 20, 23 to seven, nearly before halftime. That's when that hail mary that you mentioned. That's when that hit and Donovan Peoples Jones, the hail mary. Suddenly it's twenty three to fourteen, and we hit the over there. And uh, that was a rough beat. That was that's the end.
1: Cleveland didn't score again in the second half after that. It and did. It, it did look like they were they were going to make it a game it because did. they came out in the second half. They stopped Arizona. They got the ball. Then I think they got a three and out. They stopped Arizona again, and then. They get the ball back, and they're driving down the field, and they get it to about the, the Arizona forty four. Baker gets sacked, sack fumble. That's another thing we got to talk about. Arizona's fumble luck is just absolutely it's incredible. Out of this world. <laughs>
2: the, the Browns had so many mistakes this game. They they lost two fumbles. They had an interception early. You know the twenty nothing I mentioned. They had a turnover on downs, an interception, and a fumble right away. And the Cardinals settled for field goals in the first half. They scored every drive and came away only with 23 first half points. They could have had 37 by halftime if they had put these, you know, put the game away, gotten into the end zone. You mentioned four of seven in the red zone. That's not even all those field goals. That's seven trips in the red zone. The whole thing with the Browns that we've been excited about. This is our Browns podcast. We've been talking them up because their defense was taking a big step forward, and it just didn't happen today. Both both sides really didn't show up, I'm willing to excuse the offense. We found out a couple hours before the game that both tackles weren't going to be playing. I certainly didn't expect that, and I thought, you know, both of us were on the Browns. I think we loved the run game, how it shaped up, but then it turns out when you lose your star tackles and Nick Chubb, who I think is maybe the best running back in football, yeah, your run game is not going to be quite as dominant when that happens, and if you go down 20 nothing before you blink. Yeah. You're probably not gonna be able to run the ball as well when you're playing from a three touchdown deficit the entire game. So yeah, I think Chubb will be back this Thursday. I don't know. It's, a, it's not a good time to have a short week. Uh, Kareem Hunt has a calf strain. So it looks like he might miss some time. Baker, it looked really bad for a second. He he hurt that left shoulder again, though he kept playing OBJ. You didn't mention him. He's hurt again, always uh, JOK got hurt, but the offense was so banged up. I'm willing to overlook that a little bit. The defense, I don't know what excuses to make for that. This, it, it did feel to me, it didn't feel like this was the Cardinals juggernaut that just blew them away. It felt more like the Browns just laid a complete egg and just didn't show. Cardinals playmakers made some plays,
1: but it just felt like the Browns just really brownsing it up today. Exactly what it felt like. I'm still... I'm afraid that this Arizona Cardinals team is going to be the team that Sharps and you know guys at our company are going to continue to fade and we're going to get burnt. And I, I think there's always a team like that where you feel like this team's not nearly as good as you think they are, but for some reason they find ways to win. And I think I have to kind of put a stop loss on that at, at some point just because it, it's pretty clear that one way or another they're going to find a way to win. And It's it's kind of frustrating. So, Yeah, what
2: do you think about this? This is my theory with them that I'm starting to tinker with. So, you know, we've dumped a lot on Cliff Kingsbury. It still doesn't look like he's going to be the first coach fired this season. But, you know, give some time. The Cardinals now 37-14 in Cleveland here. Don't forget a couple weeks ago, 37-10 in Los Angeles. I thought the Rams were going to run away with that game, and that would be the week that the Cardinals were exposed. So that's two huge road wins for them. They're playing the Texans next week, so mark them down for 7-0. Here's my theory with Arizona. Cliff Kingsbury, first of all, we know producer Matt Mitchell would want us to point out Kingsbury is, a, is bad in the second half of the season. We haven't made it there yet. There's still time for the Cardinals to collapse and for Kingsbury to do his thing. But what I'm wondering is this. Every time I watch Arizona, every time, especially if you're on red zone and it's bouncing around, you get to Arizona and it just looks different. There, you see Kyler Murray, or you see Chase Edmonds, or you see Rondale Moore. They got all these little, tiny, speedy dudes who are just running past everyone on defense. And what I'm wondering is, did Arizona fall apart in previous years because they just didn't have the right weapons? They've been running all these little bubble screens and curls and just get the ball to playmakers, but they didn't have any playmakers. They didn't have enough playmakers. So I'm wondering... Now that they got all these little dudes, now that Kyler Murray can run around and do his thing, is, is anything more terrifying than Kyler with a little bit of space? And it's just like, he's giggling as he runs past you. It's like playground football. So is there a chance that this is a juggernaut and Kyler is an MVP and we just needed Kingsbury to get the toys he needed for his offense to work? What do
1: you think about that theory? I do think there's a chance. I think that, that's, a, that's a real possibility. And I think one of the things that we tend to over, underrate last year is that Kyler Murray was banged up. He got hurt. He was never the same after injuring his shoulder. And it's pretty clear that he's healthy. I think that's another thing that we kind of had a misconception in coming into this game is that there were talks that Kyler Murray was banged up, hurt his shoulder again. So I'm thinking that we probably see the same issue that we saw with Murray last season. And we didn't see him today. He looked perfectly fine today. So I think if Kyle Murray is healthy, you got DeAndre Hopkins, you got Randall Moore, you got Chase Edmonds, you have so many of these weapons and it's tough to stop, especially when you have a quarterback who's cat quick. It's, it's almost like Tom and Jerry and you <laughs> you you can't catch this guy. And actually the defense has been the most, one of the most impressive things for me is that they're finding ways to slow teams down. So it's possible that they could be the juggernaut.
2: Yeah, Kyler Murray is now the favorite. Well, still the favorite. I guess he has been. He's plus 350 right now to win MVP at BetMGM. However, the Cardinals still getting a little disrespected in Super Bowl odds. They are plus 900 right now at BetMGM. So only the fifth favorite, even in the NFC. They're behind the Bucks and the Rams. So are you
1: making a bet on the Cardinals Super Bowl odds at this point? I'm not making a bet on the Cardinals Super Bowl odds, but... <laughs> I definitely think they're a team that I'm, I'm trying to watch for. So, so I, you,
2: I think that you're out on the Browns, but I'm wondering how out you are in the Browns. We talked about them as a Super Bowl sleeper. Browns are plus 2,200 to win the Super Bowl right now, so they're falling. They're only three and three now. Although the three losses have been to three very good teams, to three other potential Super Bowl contenders. So I know you're worried about the injuries and where the season is heading. Are you out on the Browns? Are you on wait and see? What are you thinking about them?
1: I'm out on them to win the Super Bowl at this point. I I just think, for me, I think one of the best the, one of the best paths to win the Super Bowl is to win your division and get that buy and get those home games. And this is a banged up team right now. They have Denver next week, short week, and they're banged up. They got Pittsburgh, which is always going to be a tough game. Cincinnati, at Cincinnati, at New England. This, this is a stretch where. When I when I looked at the schedule earlier in the year, like I felt like this was a good stretch for them, but this is not an easy stretch. So and then you still they still got to play Baltimore twice. They got to play Las Vegas Raiders. They got to play at Green Bay. I'm not sure if they can recover, especially if they're if they're not healthy. I'm not willing to give up on the Browns, but I also don't
2: know. I, I can't put them as a Super Bowl team right now because of the way Baker Mayfield is playing. And I look, I just talked about him on our last podcast as a long shot MVP. So let's be honest with myself on that. But he's not playing like one right now. He didn't play like one today. He's clearly not healthy. And there's no chance that they are gonna be anything like a Super Bowl contender without the Baker that we saw the second half of last season. I'm not out on the Browns entirely for the season, though, not necessarily as champions, but I do think this upcoming stretch is winnable. This Denver game on Thursday is tricky but Denver is in a tailspin of their own right now, and it's a home game for Cleveland. So if you can get through that one, home against Pittsburgh, both winnable games. At Cincinnati and New England, both winnable. And then the Lions, that's five very winnable games that the Browns probably will be favored in all five of those. So even if you lose one, you get back to seven and four, and that's when you get the weird stretch. They play the Ravens, and then a bye week, and then the Ravens again. So they have two Ravens games in a row. I don't know if I've ever seen that on a schedule before. And I I still don't mind the way this team matches up with the Ravens. So I don't know if I'm willing to go Super Bowl odds, but I am looking at Browns plus 400 to win the division because if they can get through this little stretch and get to those Baltimore games, then you just, you know, that's the stretch. That's where you can flip it. And I am kind of on a buy low on the Browns and a sell high on the Ravens. So let's use that to transition into the Ravens game because that was our other big game that we thought would be another marquee today. And same thing. It was a huge dud. The Ravens played the Chargers. That was our early game that we were supposed to get excited about. And it was over immediately, just like the, the Browns-Cardinals game was. Ravens won 34-6, to nearly shut them out. The Chargers just never got going. So was this similar to the other game? Did you feel like the Ravens impressed with the blowout Did the Chargers lay an egg. What, what's your thoughts on this one?
1: I felt like the, it said a lot more about the Ravens. I think we, we spoken about the, the chargers, their struggles and early down success rate and how they were like living on third and fourth down. And I think all of that came to a head here. I think the, the most surprising thing is how dominant Baltimore was offensively. I felt like they got whatever they wanted. So <laughs> They won the yards 327 and 208 yards, Probably 4.8 and 3.9 third downs. They dominated rushing yards, 187 to 26. We spoke about how the Chargers struggled to stop the run and the Ravens were able to do that. And I, I just think it was a huge statement game for this Ravens team. And it said a lot about the regression for this, this Chargers team that we all knew was coming at some point, like at some point, you're not going to convert every single third down. They were just three for 12 the day on third down. It just had to come, had, the chickens had to come home to the roost. They were, they were seven of eight on, on fourth down, and the one miss was a, was a fake punt. And seven or eight of those fourth down conversions led to a touchdown. So I think they finally, they finally rested to me here, and we started to see some of the issues with this Chargers team.
2: Yeah, the Ravens uh, ran 38 times for 187 yards and three touchdowns. I'm a little upset with myself because I was on the Chargers side on this one. And a week ago, I was not. A week ago, I had already warned everyone away from the Chargers that this two weeks was going to be a really rough stretch against the Browns and then against the Ravens because it looked like just very much the wrong matchup. The two run-heaviest teams in the league Browns and Ravens that I thought, well, they're just going to run it down the Chargers' throat. We know the run defense is bad. The whole defense is set up to not be good at the run and take away the pass. And then on more research this week and seeing, Hey, you know, the Ravens run game is not as good as it has been. And actually Lamar Jackson has been winning with the pass. And so I kind of changed my tune and thought, well, if the run game is not going to be so good, then, you know, maybe the Chargers take away that Lamar Jackson deep pass, which I mean, I guess they did. They didn't really have to bother with it because they're just getting anything they wanted on the ground. That's the problem is if you play a team that can run that much and that easily, you don't have the ball. So the Chargers only had 22 minutes of possession in this game. I don't know that their offense was horrible. certainly wasn't good. I mean, the only touchdown they had came because of a really bad Lamar Jackson interception that basically set them up. But that's it, six points. And – I don't know. I'm not too worried about the offense on this one. They just didn't get a ton of chances. They obviously didn't convert when they had them, but they just didn't – the defense couldn't get off the field here. And I I will say, though, I am not worried about the Chargers' uh, large scale. This just is the wrong matchup to me. This was the exact wrong team. You know, this was the thing I thought was going to happen these two weeks, but then it didn't last week. It was. It was for a while. The Chargers, you know, were – were getting kind of beaten by the Browns, but then had the big comeback. And I think the other thing we saw in this game, you mentioned the fourth down, you know, Staley's been going for those all year, fourth and one on their own 19 in the, uh, the first possession of the second half down 18 points. They go for it. Well, that's like the exact same thing as last week. They were down two scores early in the second half. They went for it. And then they got that one galvanized the team. They go down, they get the touchdown, they win. This is the other side of the coin. I think that Staley knew that this was a possible outcome. If you're going to go for this many fourth downs and you're going to, you know, risk it for the biscuit per se, you're going to have some of these. And I think it's, it would have been the wrong decision to just say, well, we're not picking them up this game. We're not converting. I guess let's just punt. No, this is who the Chargers are. And some days, if you're going to go for all these fourth downs and you're going to go for it on your own 20 and 30, you're going to miss some of them. And your team has to know that's your identity. If we're going to be willing to go for it and get those first downs, we got to be willing to lose 34 to six because the Ravens offense, you know, it wasn't like they're ripping off these huge plays. They just kept getting the ball in such good field position because Chargers turned it over because they were trying to win the game. So I don't mind it. I'm not so worried. You know, the Chargers twice in their own half of the field went for fourth down and got stopped only cost them six points. The Ravens got two field goals out of it. So we've seen the upside. If the downside is six points in a game like this, I don't mind it. This to me is not a sign that the Chargers are flawed or anything else. This is just a bad matchup and a game where everything went wrong for them.
1: I got to push back on that. It's so funny because last week we were on totally opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to this. Like I think last week I was saying how when you have to stop a team on four four downs, it's tough. But one of the things I had to sit down and realize is that this, this early down success rate is actually predictive of how teams do. I mean, this team is just 24th in early down success rate. They're 25th in drop back EPA. At some point, if you can't do these things, if you can't find ways to generate offense on first and second down, and you're constantly in third and longs, this 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 is a solid team, but I just think they need to they 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 got to figure out the offense a little bit more. So yeah, I,
2: I, I, dis- I don't disagree with that. They definitely they they need to do a little better. They need to do a lot better on first and second down. We we've been saying that for a few weeks already, and I haven't moved off of that position. Just they need to do better on those downs. But you know sometimes they're not going to convert those third and fourth downs, and I'm not willing to jump off the bridge the other way when we're when we've been all in so much on the one side. This is just the other side of the coin. If you're going to be that aggressive, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think of there's the I can't think of his name, the coach in college football that never punts, that just always goes for a fourth down. And I think he's at Presbyterian now. And some of those games, his team puts up 60, 70, 80 points. Some games he gives up that many points because if you go for it and don't punt from your own fifteen, then you put your entire defense right back on the field and then get back out there and try again. So, to me, I'm just saying. This is a team culture game for me. This is a, I, Staley's going to go stand in front of the mics and take it and say, we were the worst team. We got beat. We we lost big time today. And it's my decisions. I went for the fourth downs and we didn't get it. And the team has to convert better. They got to be getting a better position and hopefully not get into those fourth downs. But I think it's a win for the team culture because they stuck to what they do and what they do has been working. And just because it didn't work for one day to me doesn't mean you throw it out. Um, I want to talk about the Ravens a little bit because I, I am really underwhelmed by this team. They, they The defense today, very good, but overall not so convincing. Pretty average by DVOA measures. The run game has not been that great outside of today. They The Ravens lost uh, in their first game and then won five straight. Very weird season. The Ravens, Packers... Cowboys and possibly the Bills 0-1 to start the year and then five straight since then so week one really threw things off the scent but the Ravens just aren't really impressing they're starting slowly in games I'm not in on this team at 5-1 I do think they're going to make the playoffs but they seem kind of like what Bill Simmons used to call like the good bad team that like they, they to me it's Lamar Jackson and smoke and mirrors and Lamar is doing enough but it reminds me a little bit of the Seahawks from a year ago where we had a quarterback doing absolutely everything for the first half of the year. And then when that ran out of working, then things kind of fell apart toward the end when the rest of the, of the machine wasn't that good. So are you in on the Ravens? Are you believing in this 5-1 team in the AFC? I do feel like I need to see more. But what do you? I
1: mean, what do you make of a defense? I mean, this, this Ravens defense was 28th ranked in pass defense and it held Justin Herbert to 195 yards passing. So it's like, is this how do you mark this on a like? Yeah, I, I subscribe to the Daryl Morey philosophy. Every game is a data point. So, like, what does this data point do for you?
2: I mean, it certainly it's a, it's a great data point. Is easily by far the best data point that Baltimore has put on there. But what if what if you flip the schedule? What if you say this was week one and then you know, put everything backwards? wouldn't we be burying Baltimore right now and saying this is an overrated 5 and one team? I know they had that one really good win, but what about all the other games? What about when they almost lost to the Lions? What about when they keep coming out flat and needing these amazing Lamar Jackson comebacks in the second half against not very good teams? This is a data point. It's a very good one, but I'm, I can't use recency
1: bias to just throw out the other five data points because there's a lot more of that data. That's fair, but we do have to remember that they weren't necessarily healthy. Yeah, they're actually getting healthier now. Obviously, they got Jimmy Smith back. Like, even, like, Rashad Bateman is is finally playing. So it's just like they're just getting healthy everywhere. So it's just kind of like it's one thing if, if this wasn't, like, football where, like, this is the same team playing every week, but they've been hampered by injuries. So I, I guess it remains to be seen what this team is because I, I, I do think it's concerning that, how how easily the Colts carved them up. And I think they lose that game if the Colts don't have cluster injuries down the stretch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think your point about the injuries is very fair. So I take that uh, again. I'm not necessarily out on the Ravens. I'm just definitely not in on the Ravens. This looks to me like a 10, 11, 12 win team that, you know, maybe wins a playoff game, a tough one at home, and then kind of goes out relatively easy. Like, this just looks like a team that I don't see the ceiling here today was the ceiling, but is there, are there four of those games in a row? I don't know that we're going to see four of those games. And this was the ceiling that again, as we said, for the chargers, this was the perfectly wrong opponent for them. Then you've got to flip it the other side. This was the perfect opponent for the Ravens to look really good too. And so I think the chiefs are also a similar opponent to that because of their leaky defense, but there are other opponents in the AFC that are not going to have the those same matchup advantages. So I, I I just don't know that this Ravens team that it's a regular season formula to me, you know, it, we're, we're NBA guys where we're starting out in a couple of days here. This feels to me like what we kind of thought of the, you know, the Milwaukee bucks before last season of just like, we know the formula, we know it works. We've seen it year after year, but you know, I, I don't know that the formula has been proven to work enough against enough different opponents. There's not enough versatility here. So I'm buying them. Certainly I think it's a playoff team, but I don't want to, I don't want to put my money on uh, Lamar Jackson for MVP because I think it's bad when you're doing so much of everything. And I definitely don't want to put super money money on. Oh, you, right now.
1: you don't want to put your money on the Lamar Jackson because he's doing so
2: much of everything. Yeah. Because I, if you have to carry so much of the, the entire offense, it just doesn't hold up usually like, and I don't think Baltimore is going to be good enough around him because you can't do everything for all 17 games. You need some help at some point. And I don't know he's getting enough help. So I MVP is an individual award that is part of a team award. Your team has to be good enough for you individually to win MVP. And I don't think his team is good enough, but maybe they're getting healthy. Maybe they will be
1: good enough. I mean, they're 5-1 and one right now. And when you look at the game that they lost, it it probably happened because Lamar Jackson fumbled twice. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. I don't know if we can count this team at, especially with Lamar Jackson. He appears to be getting better and becoming just a pure passer. And when you look at the rest of this AFC, the Chiefs don't seem like they're the same team that they were before, were previously. So, one of the teams that we were high on in the Browns, they're banged up and they're in the same division. So, and then when you look at the AFC South, the Colts or the Titans, they're not challenging them. So, I, I think part of it is that we, we can't look at these teams in the back. We got to look at them as, as collectively like yeah. who are they going to be playing. And right now it looks like the chargers
2: might be the best team in the AFC. It's fair to say that the chargers certainly look among the best. This could be a non first round playoff matchup. So for Baltimore to dominate a game like this, it certainly has to be a very strong data point. That's for sure. So, yeah. all right, let's whip around the rest of Sunday action and wrap up week six. We got our second and final London game of the year this morning as the Jaguars snapped their 20-game losing streak with the win over the Dolphins. Matthew Wright hit 54- and 53-yard field goals in the final minutes to give Trevor Lawrence his first win. Turns out the Jaguars are right at home in London. Apparently, they just need to play somewhere a little more urban. Scoregami in New York as the Rams beat the Giants 38-11. Stafford and Cup had huge games, but the Scoregami did come at a cost to underbetters. New York had a garbage touchdown late and cashed in on a meaningless two-point conversion that was not so meaningless for all of us. Battle of former 3-0 teams sent the Broncos to 3-3. The Raiders forced four turnovers in a 34-24 win. Vegas coach Rich Bisaccia wins his debut, and the Raiders shredded that Denver Vonda defense in Denver They had big plays of 48, 25, 33, 31, 29, 40, and 51 yards on offense. Pat Mahomes was human again. Two more interceptions, one of them absolutely terrible, three sacks, but the Chiefs turned on the afterburners late and ran away with it 31-13 over Washington. And Chiefs defense actually showed up a little bit, held the football team to 276 yards, and kept them out of the red zone. The Colts returned home after a three-game road trip and rolled on the Texans. 8.1 yards of play in a 31-3 win, and the Lions remain winless. They couldn't even get on the scoreboard until the final 10 minutes. The Bengals coast to a 34-11 win. And last but not least, in Chicago, the Bears hung around, but Aaron Rodgers ran in the clinching score in the final minutes, then screamed at the crowd, I own you, I still own you. And it's hard to argue with the results. Rodgers is 22-5 all-time against Chicago, Packers win 24-14, but Chicago is still the city of champions as my Chicago Sky came back down 14 in the second half to win their first ever WNBA championship in front of a rabid hometown crowd. All right, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor and get to Monday Night Football.
0: The Action Network podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. And to celebrate the 2021 NFL season, BetMGM is offering a great sign-up offer for our listeners, a $1,000 risk-free first bet. You just open an account at BetMGM and make your first deposit. Then make your first bet. If that bet wins, the money is yours. And if your bet doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $1,000. It's that simple. To get started, just click on the link in this episode description. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the best features for NFL betting, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, BetMGM is compatible with our BetSync technology, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem, call one 800 522 4700 in Colorado and Nevada. one 800 gambler in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. one 800 9 with it in Indiana. one 800 270 7117 in Michigan. one 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. one 800 bets Off in Iowa. Or one 888 532 3500 in Virginia. Nutsink not available in Nevada. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, Monday night, we have
2: the Buffalo Bills, the red scorching hot Buffalo Bills heading to Tennessee to take on the Titans. The Bills are five and a half point underdogs. We've got a high total here, 53 and a half. We're expecting some points. We're expecting
1: some fireworks. What do you make of this game, Raheem? Right now, I don't want to step in front of this bill stream, and I think that's the that's the bottom line for me. It's we all saw Josh Allen emerge as a top tier quarterback last season, and their defense kind of took a step back. But this year, they actually have a solid defense, and I, I can't step in front of that. Like there was a period of time where I felt like I would play the Titans in this spot with the Bills actually coming off that huge win against the Chiefs, but. This is not a a defense that I, I, like, I I don't want to back this Titans defense, like, at all. And so for me, I'm kind of looking at Buffalo on teasers. I'm looking to lay the five and a half. I I, I do think they're charging you a premium on it, obviously, because they come off a, a big win. But this is a defense, it's a Titans defense that's 22nd in EPA per play. I don't know if this is the spot to be fading Buffalo. Like, what's your thoughts on this game?
2: Yeah, the Titans are three and two and leading the division comfortably for now, but this is not a good team. Like you said, their defense has been terrible. Their, their Titans are number 26 in DVOA overall as a team. The defense is number 27. They've not been good on run or pass defense. They haven't been passing the ball. Ryan Tannehill has lost his mojo i think his mojo's name was arthur smith and he's gone now so titans passing has been bad that's bad news if you get behind on this buffalo team and the way that their pass rush is coming home and their defense that is lit up in every area of the field like the only thing going right for tennessee right now is derrick henry but even that usually happens in the second half of the game the titans have been getting buried early in first halves and then eventually henry's wearing teams down even one of those wins was that really wonky game against seattle like every seattle game uh, but henry had a huge second half and a huge game i don't know if the bills are going to allow henry to do that or to hang around against buffalo this year the leader running back from the opponent 45 yards 25 31 24 and 27 it's not going to get the job done if, if derrick henry He's going to have to have all five of those together if the if the Titans want to have any chance in this one. So here's my question for you. The Bills are five-and-a-half-point favorites. On Sunday, we saw every one of those huge favorites come home. All the public favorites came home. All the teaser legs hit. Vegas got crushed on Sunday. This is the trappiest trap that I've ever seen. On Monday night, it's everyone's final leg in their teaser everyone is just flush with money after they just won everything on Sunday. They're feeling great. Does that as a professional better, does that give you any pause or is that just overthinking
1: the angle? I do think it gives you some pause, obviously. I I think it gives you some pause that they came off this high profile win against the chiefs. So for me, this is a spot that I'm kind of looking at like as much as I like Buffalo and I if I'm going to be playing this game, I'm probably going to be playing Tennessee or pass. And for me, I, I don't want to back Tennessee, so I'm looking to pass on this game because it just feels like one of those spots where they're going to make you pay a premium to back Buffalo.
2: So a couple Action Lab numbers. I feel the same way as you. It it feels so trappy that everything in me sees the matchup, sees everything on paper and on the field, and this just looks like a Bills like steamroll. Like the Bills should win by two, three touchdowns in this matchup. Titans are not playing good football right now. But if you, you know, that it's so trappy, but a few action lab things I do like here. First thing, road favorites on Monday night football of 3 to 7 points. So that's the Bills. Road favorites like that are 43 and 27 against the spread. So 61% and they're covering by 4.7 points. So that'd be a Bills win by about 10 points. That's basically what we're expecting in this game. So that's a good sign in our favor. Also, primetime games you're looking at the two quarterbacks in this game, Josh Allen and Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is 3-10 and against the spread lifetime in primetime games. That is horrendous. 23% cover Ooh. rate. Josh Allen is 5-1 and in primetime games ATS. And that one loss is counting a Tuesday night
1: a year ago. Do you remember who the Bills were playing on a Tuesday night when they lost? They, they were playing the Titans. Obviously, the Titans had came off the little COVID outbreak and actually yep. threw... It's so funny because I think they actually played the Chiefs either the week before or the week after, and it actually threw off the the, the Bills' whole schedule. Yeah, it did. So I, I think I'm pretty sure this team remembers that. Yeah,
2: I, I think that they do too, and that's why I'm I am willing to back the Bills because that's Josh Allen's only nighttime game that he lost and lost against the spread. And I agree. This to me, this Buffalo team. That's the exact sort of team that remembers a game like that. They remember, they've had this one circled on their calendar. Like I know last week against the Chiefs, that was a big emotional game. And this profiles as an emotional letdown spot. This is not a game that the Bills are overlooking, I think, because of that game. So with Tannehill so bad in night games, with Allen so good in them, the way that the road favorites go, I'm willing to back the Bills here. It feels so trappy. I feel like I'm being lured in, but Hey, I did it for most of the games on Sunday and it worked out for me too. So I'm just going to keep riding captain public here. I will take the bills. Are you betting
1: the Titans? Or are you just going to stay away from this one? I'm, I'm not, I'm not backing the Titans at all. I think if I'm like, I, I, like in a, in a spot like this, this is a spot to where I'd be looking towards the Titans. But when I break down the game, like you said before, the bills are the team that you, that should dominate this game. So this is a completely stay away from me.
2: All right, well, let's hit our week seven hot read and get a few early winners on the board here before we get out of here.
0: Hot wrap! Blue 17! Nice rights ice cream! Jose! Blue Raiders! 19 salad, Louisville Soul Train!
2: I'm gonna start off with another Titans read here because the Kansas City Chiefs are playing the Titans next week. I told you guys on Friday in the look ahead segment to bet the Chiefs. The Chiefs went out and won huge today and beat up on Washington. And the line didn't really budge. It's still at about four. I'm still seeing it at three and a half on some books in Tennessee next week. Look, it's all the same logic that we've just been talking about. The Titans' defense is very bad. The Chiefs' defense is bad too. But if both defenses are bad, just like in the Chiefs' Washington game, then you pick the offense that's better. Guess which offense is better? It's the one with Patrick Mahomes. So especially you want to grab this line. If you like it, you want to grab it on Monday because if Tennessee beats the bills, I don't know that the line moves that much. Maybe you do move it past the the key number of three. Maybe I'm not sure if it does, but it's not like the Titans are going to suddenly be favored against Patrick Mahomes, but there's a lot better chance that the bills do what we said they're going to do and blow out the Titans. And if they do, and the Titans suddenly look exposed the way the numbers are exposing them Suddenly this line goes to six, goes to seven. You lose a lot of value here. So I think that actually the Chiefs have moved to being a little bit undervalued, still in a game against a good team. I'm going to be guessing twice about them. Titans are not a good team. This is a terrible defense. The the Titans have beaten the Chiefs a few times, but by like a point, 2.3 points. So the Chiefs are going to take care of business. I'm going to go ahead and grab them before this line balloons. I'm not mad
1: at that. I'm not mad at that at all. For me, I, like I already mentioned this before, I like the Denver Broncos plus five. I think I gave this out on Friday at plus six. But I still like it here. I like when you look at the Cleveland Browns, they're banged up. They were without both for their starting tackles and Jerick Jer- Willis and, and Jack Conklin. Now you got Nick Chubb banged up. Jarvis Landry has been out. Kareem Hunt is, is definitely going to miss next week's game. Baker Mayfield is hurt. Now you got Odell Beckham banged up. This is a short week, even though they're at home and you kind of want to be looking towards these home teams a lot of times in these Thursday night games. The Broncos just got dominated by a divisional opponent. They're going on the road, so I think there's going to be an extra level of focus there. I just think this is too many points against a a banged-up Browns team. I know that the Broncos are in a a tailspin of their own, but I think this is is the spot. This is their season right here, so I got to back the Broncos here.
2: Yeah, I don't know what to make of this Thursday game yet. I think I'm going to have to wait and see kind of where the injury report comes out. There, There's so many names banged up on both of these teams right now. And a short week leaves me to believe that there's going to be, you know, these spotty rosters matching up and, you know, maybe an ugly, low-scoring game. So it is a lot of points in that case, so I don't mind taking the points. But I've got to wait and see where that one lands for me. Uh, I'm going to go against a team that we talked about earlier. I'm going to fade the Ravens. Baltimore is at home. They're big favorites against the Cincinnati Bengals. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites right now. I'm going to take Cincinnati because I think that line is too high. Uh, I put this around for myself. Cincinnati came into the weekend number seven in DVOA on defense. The run defense has been very good. Obviously, those numbers are only going to get better after the way they dominate on Sunday. And I just don't know that the Ravens are dominant enough to be a touchdown favorite against what's been proven to be like a very capable and probably above average, at least, Bengals' team. Jamar Chase has been killing it. I don't know that the Ravens are going to be able to slow him down necessarily. Joe Burrow is playing well. Apparently, a throat contusion is not a big deal. The Ravens, still underwhelming to me. They're two impressive wins. They had the big win against the Chargers. Excellent win, no doubt. But the other, only other impressive one on the schedule was against the Broncos, and that was mostly Drew Locke in that game. I'm not taking too much away from that one. Uh, Baltimore has been slow starters in all their games up until this week. The Bengals have two big wins and they have four games that came down to a field goal. So I don't know that the Bengals are going to go on the road and win in Baltimore. Is Burrow ready for that yet? I don't know, but maybe we get another field goal loss here. I think the Bengals can be in this one. So I think the line is a little too high and I won't be surprised if it moves down towards Cincinnati. So I'm going to grab it at six and a half
1: as an underdog. OK, I, I, I'm struggling with the make it make of this game just because Baltimore has just been so dominant. And, I, and then for me, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to wait and see how that plays out for me. I think my second game that I'm really looking at and I, I, I haven't played it yet, but it's not making any sense to me. You look at the New York Jets on the road in Foxborough against the New England Patriots. It doesn't make sense why this line is six and a half these two teams played earlier this year and the line was five and a half six so why is this line six and a half here with the Patriots being at home and we all know Belichick's record against rookie quarterbacks Zach Wilson has not been good at all I just I can't make any sense of this the the Jets are dead last at EPA per play same with success rate it's just I expect New England to go out there and, and, and dominate in the same way that they did previously. So I actually want to do a little bit more digging on this game. I do think the number is eventually going to move, especially with New England coming off uh, a real high-profile, close game against the Dallas Cowboys, who appear to be a Super Bowl contender. And we all know the Jets are coming off a bye, so they're kind of forgotten about. But I think, I think New England is probably, probably going to be the side here.
2: Do you, I mean, I think the Jets are coming off of a bye week. Do you think that that's being factored into the price a little bit here?
1: I, I, I can't fathom why it would, at least in this situation where you had these two teams who played before and the Jets had no answer for anything that the Patriots are trying to do. So it just, it just doesn't make sense from a power rating perspective, but I, I definitely want to do a little bit more digging. Uh, that makes sense. I'm going to give you guys
2: one more here, a bonus third uh, hot read pick, and let's get ugly. This one is really ugly. We are going to play the Houston Texans plus 17 in Arizona next week. The Houston Texans, the team that we all thought might go winless this season against the team that literally is undefeated, but 17 points is a lot of points. The line shifted three points already since Sunday morning And this is just a play the numbers spot. And I know I played the number in Houston on Sunday. It didn't work. The Texans got blown out of the waters 31 to three. And that was against the Colts. So the Colts do that. What are the Cardinals going to do? This is just playing the numbers and playing, you know, the trends. Here are a few trends. So October unbeaten teams in October or after who are favored by 17 or more have never covered the spread in our database at Action Labs. It's only six games but they're 0-6 against the spread in that spot, failing to cover by over 10 points a game. So that's a trend that's going against the Cardinals here as such huge favorites. We also have teams who lost by 17 or more like Houston did against teams who won by 17 or more like Arizona just did. Those underdog teams are 96-59-4 and against the spread, so 62% cover there. And teams with an average scoring margin of minus 14 or worse, which of course the Texans are because they're terrible, are 117, 78, and 6 against a spread 60% cover rate. So the Texans are bad. We know this. You don't have to be awesome. You just have to not lose by 17 or more points. Tyrod Taylor, there's a chance he could be back for this game. He was a huge difference maker for Houston. I still think that this team is more bad than awful, like we thought that they were going to be. I still feel like Arizona is overvalued, especially coming off this huge win this week. It's kind of like a a game that they're going to look past probably with uh, Green Bay and San Fran, I think, coming up next. So I'm going to grab the points. 17 is a lot of points, and it seems like this line might come a little bit back down to earth once things settle down a little bit. It's ugly. It's gross. Give me the Texans plus 17. Let's go. I like that.
1: And I especially like the fact that it's a, it's a non-conference opponent. It doesn't have the meaning of, it doesn't just, it doesn't have that same meaning. So this is the perfect opportunity for a letdown spot. And the Texans have been pretty com- competitive outside of a few, few games here and there. So 17 is a lot of points. So I'm not mad at that. What do you think about the over in the game?
2: You know, I don't play a lot of totals. so I didn't look at that one, but uh Definitely. seems like we're going to get some points. Certainly if the Texans cover the 17, I think you'd have to feel a lot better about the over because it's probably not because the Texans have just shut out the Cardinals in that case. So you have to assume that means that they're going to get some points. So what, what do you think?
1: Yeah. I, I like, I, I think a lot of times, like I, I tend to look at these things as correlated. So yeah, we have a, a spread that high and the total is only 48. Like, like you're looking at a spread that's 35% of the total. So I actually think like now that I sit down and sit, think about it, I actually think the over might be a good play. If you think the Texans can do anything, I actually, I actually like the over in today's Colts and Texas game. And that didn't work out for me, but Colts actually went out there and put up 31 points of their own, but it's just the Texans didn't do their job. And it, it'll be interesting to see if they could do anything. If, if they, if, if the Texans cover this number, it's going to be – the game's going over. So yeah. I think those are correlated.
2: I like that. All right, that is going to wrap it up today at the Action Network Podcast. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. Stucky and Ray Bon are back Wednesday night with their NFL six-pack betting guide. Raheem and I will be back Friday for our run through the slate and our look-ahead segment. For Raheem Palmer, I'm Brandon Anderson, and this has been the Action Network Podcast. We are on to week seven.